You may open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And let's make a quick study of one aspect of child training. I have left the goals of child training. I tried to reduce them to something that you could get your mental hands around. And that is the love of God, the love of neighbor, rule of spirit, and wisdom. And each of those is a great category. Love of God, love of neighbor, ruling of your spirit, and the wisdom that the Bible teaches. I want to move on and give us things to think about the rules of child training. What do parents need to do to teach their children? And I want one today. One. Live the life that the Bible tells you to live so that your children can copy it. Children are copiers. They are imitators. If you were to raise them barking each day in the house, they would grow up and bark. They would never know the English language. It is not taught by any external force, but by copying their parents. And so it's important for us to leave an example with our children. Be thankful that you're sitting and listening. I wish you were preaching and I could sit and listen on a subject like this. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 is what I read to you a little while ago. But I want you to see it. I want you to see its importance. 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul wrote, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Timothy was a great helper to the Apostle Paul, but it started with a woman. It started with a woman who had a daughter. And it continued through that daughter to Timothy. Lois, Eunice, and Timothy. Your example and the life you live at home is very weighty for the training of your children. It is weightier than what you tell them. It takes a whole lot more for a child to hear what you say, remember it, apply it, and do it, than it does for those children just to do what they've seen all their lives. Because that's instinctive from copying. They learn to walk by watching you have controlled forward falling. Remember, walking is simply controlled forward falling. Your leg swings out in front of you to catch you before you smash your face on the floor. Walking is control. It is. If I stop, if I stop that leg from going forward to catch you, you're going down. Children watch that and they say, oh, that's how we're supposed to move. There have been studies done where you put a child with, without seeing parents upright in their hind legs, they'll crawl. They'll crawl. Your example is what they copy. And they copy everything about you. You wish they copied some things better. And the things you wish they wouldn't copy, they do too well. It's a painful job being a parent. I know. You make your bed every day and you wonder, why can't they copy me in that? Well, if you pick on them long enough, they may copy you in picking on somebody who doesn't make their bed. Uh, it all, you know, it, we just need to be careful. I'm not saying it's a perfect rule, but it is an important rule. They're going to end up being little used. That's why we have expressions like, he's a chip off the old block. Do you know why he's a chip off the old block? There's a g- genetic pool in common, but then there's the example that they've watched their whole life. The little guy grows up, oh, that's what a block is supposed to look like. 
And he ends up being a chip off the old block because he's following the example that's been given to him. Lois, Eunice, Timothy were godly examples. Paul was a godly example to Timothy, and Timothy followed like a son follows his father in being a very helpful minister so that Philippians 2 would tell us Paul had no other man like-minded. Now, God did his work, but Paul had also been Paul, Timothy's personal trainer and example. If you are moody in your house, you know, when you come and see us, you're not very moody. Because we don't let you get away with it as easily as your children let you get away with it. It's hard for a child to walk up to a parent and say, why are you in a bad mood today? Don't you know that that's wrong? Haven't you heard the pastor preaching against that? And so you can get away with it at home. But you're not getting away with it. You have this little audience that's wondering why you're moody. And it doesn't matter how old they are. At the youngest ages, they start copying their parents. I'm looking at some parents that have young children. They can't escape. Moods, anger. If you fly off the handle at little things, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do when something goes wrong. When something goes wrong, I'm supposed to get upset and yell. Getting upset and yelling must be to be an adult. So they learn it. They don't even have to consciously think about it. They just learn it because that's happening all the time. It's amazing. Some houses are quiet. They're calm, collected, sober. And other houses, everybody yells at each other. It's loud. It's just a din. It's just, it's, it's painful for somebody that's grown up in a quiet house. Where did that difference come from? Because some just like to talk at the top of their lungs and yell at each other. Because they grew up that way. And so it's perpetuated. There's family trees of yellers and there's family trees of quiet people. I'm just giving examples for you to think about all the things that are transferred from generation to generation. You know what's terrible is you are a great deal like your parents. And you know some of you do not want to be at all like your parents and you end up being like your parents and you can't stop it or help it because it's already ingrained into you. That doesn't mean that you can't do what God tells you to do. When I said you can't stop it or help it, because you can do everything God wants you to do. But you will have very strong tendencies toward what your parents did. Your speech. The words you use and find acceptable and the words you don't think are acceptable and that you don't use, your children are going to use very similar language to you. Your giving. If you're generous or you're stingy, your children will be growing up thinking, I'll give a little bit. You know, I'll give a little bit. And then if you're generous, your children are going to grow up. Yeah, I'll be happy to get it. Yes, let me pay for that. Because they've seen that example all their lives. How hard they work. If they see hard work, they're going to be hard workers. Not just because daddy said to hard work is, that hard work is good. Not just because the pastor said hard work is good. Not just because mommy said hard work is good. But because they saw hard workers. They don't even have to consciously think about it. That's what they've seen. That's what they do. Debt. There are families that love debt. Hey, I want something. Go borrow for it. Other families don't do that. So you have whole family trees of debtors and family trees of creditors. And it's because of a man at the head of that family that gave an example. We don't go into debt. Or a man who says, just go borrow for it. And what a difference it makes. The way that Sunday's treated. You know, there are some fathers that have set Sunday aside to be an important day of dedication to the Lord, not as a Sabbath rule, but as a rule for their families where we're going to keep the Lord central today. 
we're going to make spiritual things the most important today. And so the children grow up thinking that's the way that God is worshipped. And so you have a family tree of those who treat the first day of the week as a special day that we don't do our other activities on this day because we try to keep it sanctified for the Lord's sake. Then there are others because they grew up in careless households where the parents may not have even gone to church. They think that Sunday is their day off to do anything they want. And there is a Christian liberty balance between everything I've just described, but the difference is caused by the homes they grew up in. The example. The first rule of child training is what kind of an example are you in your home because you are going to beget little copies of what you are. Children are imitators. Consciously and subconsciously, they're going to imitate their parents. Conscious imitation is saying... I think that is success. I want to be like that. They consciously make the choice. Unconscious imitation is, I don't like that and I don't want to be like it, but I, but they end up being that way anyway because they don't think about it because it's been ingrained into them by habit. And you have a profound effect on your children by what you do in your home. Look at Matthew 23. Matthew 23. The verses that I'm using on this particular point are sort of indirect, but they show that parents to children transfer a certain approach to life. You're going to have someone watching you very shortly. That little someone is going to watch everything you do. The way you treat him. The way you treat her. The way you two treat the Lord. The way you two treat the Bible. The way you two treat the television. The way you two treat money. The way you two keep the house clean. All those things you're going to do And there's going to be this little guy watching you and recording it. Even when he's over there playing with his blocks, he's going to be recording what you're doing. It's weighty. And I hope we walk out of here in just a few minutes with a weighty conviction. My little guys and my little girls are going to grow up to be like mom and dad. How are mom and dad living in the house? What you do carries far more weight with them than what you teach them. Oh, far more. What you do, your actions are going to affect them more than what you tell them. Your actions are going to affect them more than I can ever make up for on Sunday from this pulpit. Even when children see conduct, they hate. And some of you have told me all about it. You know what's terrible? You end up copying it. Because you saw it so many times, it's part of your nature. Let me show you an example of that in the Bible. This is an indirect evidence, this is an indirect support from the Bible about this particular point of parents being examples to children. Verse 30, Jesus, verse 29 is the beginning of the sentence. Jesus is condemning the scribes and Pharisees. Let me get, let me read it. Verse 29, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which kill the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. You have turned out to be just like your fathers, even though you said you hated what they did. You're going to end up crucifying the Lord of glory. And upon you is going to come all the righteous blood shed from the foundation of the earth. But they said we wouldn't have been like our fathers. 
They read certain things about their fathers in the Old Testament about killing prophets. And they said, we would have never done that. They ended up doing worse because they ended up being just like their fathers. It's genetics, but more important than that, it's the example of what these children see every day, hear every day in the home. They're going to end up duplicating that to a great degree. They learn to walk. They learn to talk. They learn to eat. They learn to react by the example of you parents. Children are going to be what you are. Their attitudes, their desires, their ambition. What does it mean to be successful in your household? Your habits, your priorities are going to teach them their attitudes, their ambitions, their habits, and their priorities. Lord, help us. The more successful the parents the more likely the children will be successful also. Consider divorce. Divorce runs in families. Once you get it started, how do you stop it? Hey, you don't like your spouse? Get rid of her and get another one. Drunkenness runs in families. Hey, they see it drunk without any guard all their lives, they end up doing the same thing for the most part. Slothfulness. Lazy families beget lazy families. Fearful families, fearful families. Like father... Like son. Why do we say that? Because it's what I'm preaching to you is true. And do you know what the purpose of all this is? For us to be shaken to the core of our souls as parents and to go home and make sure that every minute, even behind closed doors, we are acting, living, thinking, and talking in such a way that if that life is duplicated later when we're laying in a cemetery, it'll be a godly life. Because the the actions, the speech... The attitudes, the habits that they saw were godly actions, attitudes, and habits. Like father, like son, or he's a chip off the old block. Those are expressions we use for the point I'm trying to make. But the real point is for us parents to go home and make sure that we're living godly lives before our children. Now, the Bible had proverbs like that. Like father, like son, that's a proverb. He's a chip off the old block, that's a proverb. Come to Ezekiel 16, and I'll show you a Bible one that says the same thing. Ezekiel 16. Oh, you can't send them to enough school. You can't send them to a good enough Christian school. You can't bring them under enough gospel preaching. And you can't have devotions long enough to make up for a bad example. It doesn't work that way. You better have the preaching and the schooling and the example at home all working together for one end. And that's to have godly children that think right, speak right, and do right. You know, we're lazy. We like our habits. So we try to get a school teacher or a pastor to make up for them. Can't do it. And it's painful. It's painful. You know, when you look at your child and you see faults in them and you know where that fault came from, it is painful. Ezekiel 16 and verse 44, when you know that that came from you. Look at 16.44. Behold, everyone that useth Proverbs shall use this proverb against thee, saying, As is the mother, so is her daughter. There's a proverb. As is the mother, so is her daughter. That's a proverb. God called it a proverb. God stuck it in the Bible and He said that It's going to be used of these wicked Israelites and Jews. Because from generation to generation, they continued to be wicked without repenting. 
What your children see has a much stronger effect on what they hear. You, you know the expression, actions speak louder than words. Actions are more indicative. Actions tell us more about your character than do your words. And children don't have to be even taught that little sentence. They know it. They just watch what you do, and that must be acceptable because the authority figure in their life is doing it. You will not train your children to be more than you are unless God intervenes by grace. You will not train your children to be more than you are without God graciously intervening. Now, God sometimes intervenes and praises the name that He does. Some of you are sitting here with terrible parents, terrible histories at home. But it's by the grace of God. But the rule for us is that we can't presume on His grace and His miracles like that. We need to live before our parents, our children, in such a way that they will see a godly life and copy it. Applying heard instruction requires memory. Imitating proper action is instinctive. If as a parent you've always done what is right, the child learns to do it by instinct. That's what's done, by habit. You know, you can get a dog to salivate with a bell and some food after about four or five trials. And you can get a child to salivate just about as fast. You know what I mean by that. You can get a child to do what he's supposed to do by that same type of an example. What you tell a child, they have to remember it at the right time, apply it correctly to the situation, and then do it. But if you've given them a godly example at all times in your home, then when that event takes place, they instinctively do it because it's a habit. And it's formed by what they saw their parents do. Someone has said a couple neat things that I hope will convict you on this point. The footsteps a child follows are most likely to be the ones his parents thought they had covered up. Another one said, who sins before a child sins double. I like that one. And if you sin before two children, you sin triple. I hope you can follow the math. You're sinning yourself, but you are teaching your children how to sin by you sinning at home. We can sin here. We can sin thoughts that show in our attitudes. We can sin with our actions. We can sin in what we do and what we don't do. Children are going to copy it. The first rule of child training is being an example, is living the life of Christianity, is being virtuous, is being noble, so that your children see it and are conditioned, that's the way I'm to talk. That's the way I'm to think. That's the way I'm supposed to serve. That's where I'm supposed to love the Lord. That's the, the priority that I give to church. All those things children learn by mommy and daddy. You know, you, you parents with very young children, I hope they know that the big black book is not Sunday book. I hope they know that the big black, you know, they may even be able to call it Bible. Luke? Luke, what is this? It's the first time the cat's got your tongue since I've known you. (laughs) He knows it's a Bible. 
You can teach your children it's a Bible, but do you know what? We want them to think that the Bible actually works Monday through Saturday. That it actually works. That the words are still there and it's not blank pages Monday through Saturday. Because it's your action. Brethren, think about it. He who sins before a child sins double. Children aren't as foolish as we wish they were. We wish they were so foolish they couldn't notice or remember the foolish things that we do. They'll spot hypocrisy easily. Look at Genesis 19. And I hope that some of you read Genesis 19 last night. What a sober reminder about a terrible example. Lot did not approach life on faith. He did not approach life as to what would God want me to do. So when it came, when push came to shove, and he goes and rings the doorbell on his sons-in-law's doors, and there were three of them. Job had five daughters. Three were married. Two were at home. Those are the ten souls that Abraham tried to save when he negotiated the Lord down to saving Sodom and Gomorrah for ten souls. There were no sons. He had five daughters. He went to the homes of those sons-in-law, rang the doorbell, and said, God has sent His angels to destroy this place. Now get out of here with me. Look what it says in Genesis 19.14. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Can you believe that? This was for their lives. And he couldn't get his point across. They said, are you kidding? You're sitting on city council. In fact, when I came home from work this afternoon, before I got home, I drove past you in the city gate. The Bible tells us that's where he was. If you read it last night, when the angels visited that city, where'd they find Lot? Sitting in the gate of the city. He was on city council. You're sitting on city council. And you're trying to tell me that your God's going to come and judge this place now? If your God meant anything to you, you wouldn't have moved to this place. Oh. Did any of you get anything out of Genesis 19? It is a sober warning. It is a sober warning. There wasn't a single family member that knew how to live by faith in that family. They were all ruined by that man's example. His wife could not leave that city. She could not leave her furniture. She could not leave her three daughters. She could not leave her house. That, that Lot had bought her in the city of Sodom, she turned around and became a pillar of salt. She couldn't live by faith. The three daughters couldn't live by faith. Their husbands couldn't live by faith. And the two daughters that he had left took advantage of him in a cave because they couldn't. They didn't know how to live by faith. He didn't know how to live by faith. God said, escape the mountains. He says, well, you've shown me a little mercy in getting me out of Sodom. Can I go into this little city? Please, it's just a little one. Do you mind if I go in? Can you believe that example? He caused that. Everything that happened in that cave is because of Lot. You know what he wanted to do with those two daughters? Do you know what he should have done when he went outside that door and realized that his house was circled by a bunch of sodomites? He should have gone back in and asked those angels to have a prayer meeting with him. Those three of them should have got down. There could have been some real excitement outside those doors. Instead of saying, I'll send my two virgin daughters out and you can abuse them all night. That is a totally faithless life and it infected, affected, and destroyed his whole family. And for the rest of the Bible, we read about two nations called Moabites and Ammonites. And you know where they came from, don't you? They are the children of Lot. Because one man would not be an example at home. He pitched his tent towards Sodom and he ruined his family. He ruined his children. 
Every young man, old man, father, grandfather, expectant father, you pitch your tent towards Sodom and your family's going to go down. Pitch your tent towards Zion. Oh, what an example. Hypocrisy. How can the world could he come and talk about God having lived in the city of Sodom and run for city council and won and sat on city council of Sodom? Hypocrisy, his hypocrisy is an excuse today for more people not being active Christians than any other single excuse they give. And do you know what? Do you know what big hypocrites beget? Do you know what happens every time a big hypocrite gets in bed with another big hypocrite? They make little hypocrites. Because it's their example. Let me say something again. Your children will not rise above you unless God does a miracle in your family. The best you can hope for is you unless God does a miracle. If you're a big hypocrite, you're going to have little hypocrites. Wherever you're cheating God, they're going to cheat God. And if they don't cheat God in the very same way you cheat God, they're going to cheat God somewhere else. Because you taught them to be a cheater. Because you taught them that God can be mocked. And they aren't deceiving themselves to think so because you act like you can get away with it, so they're going to think that they can get away with it. If you fear God so much that, that you are afraid of Him behind closed doors, then they're going to be afraid of Him behind closed doors and do those things that please Him. You know, the Lord wants us to copy examples. The, the Lord gives examples. These little children that He gives us, they're, they're, they're blank. Yes, they've got a depraved heart. They have no love of God, but they're blank as far as what's supposed to be done in the house. You teach them everything. You teach them how to pick up a fork. You teach them what fingers to hold, and some of you do. You teach them what... That was just to keep you light. I'm sorry if I offended you. You know, you teach them how to hold a fork. You teach them that you use a spoon for soup instead of a fork. You teach them not to eat with their knife, usually, unless you're out in the woods. You teach them all these different things. They wouldn't know it. And you do it by example. You're constantly sitting there. And so the little child looks over there and you've all watched it. The smallest little efforts, they will start mimicking their parents. If you sit and cross your leg in church and you have a little two-year-old beside you, I'm telling you something in advance, Philip and Amy, if you didn't know that I was looking at you. (laughs) You're going to be sitting in church and have the little guy beside you and you cross your leg and there's this little 40-pounder next to you. He crosses his leg. All he wants to do is copy the big hero in his life. You are bigger than life to him. You are bigger than big youngin to your, to your children. You are huge. And they, they copy this. And if daddy can say that word, then I must be able to say that word. And on and on they go. He's probably getting tired of his nickname. I'll not use it again. I've had seven experiences at this. I've watched them. And as soon as I would notice what they were doing, I'd start in the different motions. And guess what? They would just keep copying me until they figured out that I was making fun of them. (laughs) But they would just keep doing it. Because they want to copy Daddy. Little Abigail? Abigail? Charity? We all know. But you know what it means to all of us parents, grandparents and parents? Every time we open our mouths at home, 
Everything we do inside those closed doors, behind the closed doors of our front door of our house is what I mean. I don't mean the bedroom. I mean the house. When we're in the car, there's no one else around but our family. How do we talk with other people? How do we talk about the Lord? How cheerful are we? How considerate are we? All those things are going to come home to roost in the form of your children. Look at 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. I wish I could take 10 minutes a day, sit down with my children and tell them how to live and get out of the other 23 hours and 50 minutes. But the 10 minutes that we sit down with our children or the half hour we sit down with our children or when we sit down with our children, that better match up with what we're doing the other 23 hours because if it doesn't, they're going to end up doing what you do the other 23 hours. It better be consistent from top to bottom. The number one rule for child training is being an example of exactly what you want them to be. And your example should be exactly what God wants you to be. Then your children will be what God wants them to be. And we perpetuate a family tree that is pleasing in His sight. Oh, First Kings 11. We have a man who wrote the book of Proverbs and he warned about the strange woman. And here's what we read about him. But King Solomon loved many strange women. This is the first verse of 1 Kings 11. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, and getting back into Lot's family tree, isn't he? Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. And we could go on and read in verse 3, it says he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart, exactly as he wrote in the book of Proverbs. How could a man that was the wisest man that ever lived, be filled with so much knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, and then violate it by marrying so many women? How could he do it? Look at 2 Samuel chapter 5, and we'll find out how he could do it. 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel 5.13 And David took him more concubines and wives out of Jerusalem after he was come from Hebron, and there were yet sons and daughters born to David. Because his father practiced polygamy, and practiced polygamy on a large scale, Solomon followed the same practice. And I can take you to the verses without doing it. I hope you know it's in your Bible from reading it. Rehoboam copied Solomon in the same practice. And if I were to take you to a number of other Bible illustrations of kings and their sons, it would say over and over, he worshipped some false god just as his father did. Just as his father did. Just as his father did. Whenever you read those words in the Bible, let them haunt you. Just as his father did. Because unless God intervenes by a miracle, which he's never promised and we can't presume it's going to happen, your children will end up to be you and how you live at home 168 hours a week. I'll turn you to one of those passages. Look at 2 Kings 21. It's just too, it's too precious to miss because of the weight of the responsibility upon parents. 2 Kings chapter 21. 
Look at verse 19. Here are two of the worst kings in Israel. 2 Kings 21.19 Ammon was 20 and 2 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 2 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Meshulameth, the daughter of Heraz of Jotba. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh did. And he walked in all the way that his father walked in, and served the idols that his father served, and worshipped them. And he forsook the Lord God of his fathers, and walked not in the way of the Lord. Notice, there's a father and there's fathers. The fathers are his ancient fathers, like David, who worshipped the Lord God of heaven, but instead he followed his immediate father, because that was the example he saw all his life. He had heard about David and others worshiping the Lord Jehovah, but instead he's following the immediate father that he grew up with. Lord, have mercy upon us. A virtuous mother, a virtuous mother is going to have children rise up and call her blessed. Proverbs 31 and verse 28 tells us that. That is not based on the pastor saying it's Mother's Day. That's not based on Hallmark cards sending you a notice in your mailbox that it's Mother's Day. That is a daughter rising up to call her mother blessed because she saw all the things she did during her life. And all those things are listed in Proverbs chapter 31. Because of that example, the daughter is going to follow it and call her mother blessed. The daughter is going to respect and appreciate that performance and is going to want to duplicate it herself. Brethren, this... This aspect of being an example of godliness in your home goes on and on. The Bible says the seed of the righteous will be blessed. God will bless the seed of the righteous. If you're living a righteous life, God's going to bless your children. If you're living a wicked life, God is not going to bless your children. There are many examples. Look at Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 21. So many I get discouraged looking at my notes. But all you need is a reminder. This is the precious Word of God when we turn its pages and find some words. The words are not the words of Jonathan Crosby. The words are the words of the God of heaven. Proverbs 11 and verse 21. Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You can join hand in hand. You can get as many friends as you want. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. But it doesn't matter if that threefold cord is in wickedness. God is going to judge them. You're not going to avoid it. There's no association that you can make with any large number of people to escape the judgment of God. Though hand join in hand in association of wicked people, the wicked shall not be unpunished. But the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. A righteous man, his children are going to be delivered. You can go read in the life of Solomon. The Lord wanted to tear Solomon up for despising the wisdom God had given him. But do you know why he had mercy on him? Because of David his father. Do you know why he left Rehoboam two tribes? Because of David his father. There was a righteous man in that family tree. And it affected the children. You know about the family tree of Lot. Ammonites, Moabites. The Moabites whoremongering neighbors to Israel. Remember? Phinehas had to go and kill a Moabite. Do you remember? That came out of that cave with Lot. What about Abraham's descendants and his family tree? The seed of Abraham. Isaac, 
Jacob, Joseph, David, and all the rest. What a difference. The example that was lived in those homes. Did Abraham ever fail? Of course he failed. But what, did, what was Abraham doing most of the time we read about him between Genesis 12 and 24? He's building an altar and worshiping the Lord. What's Lot doing? Pitching his tent towards Sodom because he wants to make another buck. What a difference between those two men. Look at chapter 20 in this same book of Proverbs. Chapter 20 and verse 7. Oh, look at these verses. Chris, my son in the Lord, get excited. You always have in the past. Proverbs 20 and verse 7. The just man walketh in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. The just man walketh in his integrity. It is no different if he is in public or in private. It is no different if he is with creditors or debtors. It is no different whether he is with those that are ridiculing him or those that are praising him. The just man walks in his integrity. He does what is right all the time. And what does it say about his family? His children are blessed after him. He gets blessed, they get blessed. His children are blessed after him. Look at chapter 17 in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 17 and verse 6. This is why the little 40-pound guy likes to cross his leg because daddy's crossing his leg in church. This is why, right here. Proverbs 17, 6. Children's children are the crown of old men and the glory of children are their fathers. The glory of children are their fathers. That little child comes in so small, that big deep voice, the big strong body, even mommy pays him attention and does him reverence, and all the older siblings do the same thing. A father is the glory of his children. He's so smart, he can answer any question. He's the wisest man alive. He's the strongest man alive. He's this, he's that to every little boy, every little girl. The glory of children of their fathers. Well, what is the glory of the children of this congregation glorying in? The glory of the children of this congregation of their fathers. But what are those fathers glorying in? How are those fathers living so that those children who look at those fathers and mothers indirectly as their glory are copying something that's noble, good, and virtuous? Are you a glorious example of the fruit of the Spirit? Are you full of love, joy, and peace? Are you full of long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness? Are you full of faith, meekness, and temperance? Are you an example of the fruit of the Spirit so that your children learn, that's how I ought to live? I ought to love God and love my neighbor. I ought to love everyone in the church and serve them in whatever way I can. What's the example you give your children about your love for the Bible? Do you read it? Do you speak highly of it? Do you submit to it? Do you delight in it? Do you love to memorize it, quote it, teach it? How about prayer? What kind of an example are you for prayer? Or will will your children grow up not believing much in prayer? How about attending the assemblies? Is it done grudgingly or cheerfully? Is it the high point of the week or the low point of the week? 
Your children will follow your example. How about honoring parents? I have parents. I am a parent. I am a grandparent. How do I honor my parents and do my children know it? Oh, that one's going to hurt someday, isn't it, wife? If our children honor us the way we honor our parents, then what goes around is going to come around. What are you doing for supper? Because I sure would like to be invited out someday. Prudence. How prudent are you in your home? Or do you fly off the handle with one of your ridiculous, stupid statements? Or do you prudently think about it and use discretion and let the Word of God form your judgment before you answer a matter? Do you hear it fully before you say anything? Do you have persistent diligence or do you give up and quit easily? How about your giving? Are you generous? Do you love to give to the church to poor? Do you save your money or do you spend it all? All these things are taught in the Word of God. They're acts of wisdom that you can teach a child, but it's all theory. Every single one of us know the difference between sitting in a high school or a college class that is a bunch of theory or having one that is on-the-job training. There is a huge difference, and we would mostly enjoy the on-the-job training to know exactly what is expected of us with that particular thing. And when it comes to us and our children, it's how we handle that particular thing of money that the child is watching. And they're going to end up handling it the same way. Avoiding debt, controlling habits, friendliness, obedience, esteeming your pastor, enthusiasm, sound speech, moderation, thanksgiving. All those things are going to be communicated to your children by your actions. One simple little thing that will carry more weight than all your devotions. How you live. How you live at home. Well, the rest of us can't see you, but where God sees you and your children see you. They're a little audience. You know, I'm memorizing Hebrews 12 with one of the quizzers. Hebrews 12 says that we have a great cloud of witnesses. And that's referring to Hebrews chapter 11. But there's another cloud of witnesses, and it's the ones we beget that are in our children, that, have, that are in our homes, that have our last names. I hope that when you walk out of here today, and we're sitting in the car with our captive audience, and we go home and we have our captive audience. Every choice we make, every choice we make, every choice we make, relative to everything, the Bible, your spouse, your children, your money, your time, the television, your neighbor, your job, your duties, procrastination, every single thing, you're going to make a choice, and it's going to be picked up by the little audience in your house, and it's going to be copied. Your family is either going to look like the family of Lot or your family is going to look like the family of Abraham. Now that is Abraham way over here and that is Lot way over here. In between there's a lot of ground, but I want to know where you're going to fall. Where's your tree, your family tree going to fall? Is it going to fall toward Abraham or is it going to fall toward Lot? And the most effective thing that you can do is to live like Abraham. You can't teach enough words to cause them to understand what it's like to live what it's what it is to live like Abraham as easily and as powerfully as you can show them by being Abraham in your life.
Being exemplary, living an example of a godly life before your children is the necessary action and it requires them observing that action. Now, they observe more than you want them to. However, you need to let your children know about some things that some people think are private and off-limits. You know, your children should know some things about your finances. They should know about your Bible study. They should know about your temptations. They should know about your fears because they need to learn how to deal with these things like their father deals with them. Thinking that all these things are to be kept private in some drawer in your office and never explained to your children? I want my children to know how I think about money. I want my children to know what my temptations are. I want them to know what I'm afraid of and how I deal with that. So if you're going to be an example, you need to be the example, but you also need to let your children in on things that some generations have thought were off limits, which is just ridiculous. Why should I starve my children on any form of knowledge? You say, well, what if I tell them too much? You can't do it. You can't do it. You know why? Because they have a little brain that big. And if you give them information that's that big, it goes in one and out the other, and the little mind can't pick it up. And stop worrying about that. Why don't you give them enough to deal with instead of withholding, which you're usually withholding the more important subjects, from them? I can't believe that some parents think that all their, their, their money dealings are supposed to be such a secret matter. How in the world do you teach your children about money? With their $2 in pennies in the piggy bank? Do your children know how you think? Do you tell them? Do you tell them how you... Th- well, you know, once in a while, not all the time. Do you tell them how you think? Thoughts must be communicated to be of value. Do they know how much you love the Lord and why? Do they know about the choices you've made in your life to follow Him? Brethren... If you've been a bad example and you don't like sermons like this, right along with me, then confess your faults. Let's work diligently and trust the Lord to make up for lost time and be the best examples that we can be to our children and our grandchildren. Our lives are a story of conversion from beginning to end. I hope we never stop converting. Converting closer and closer to the image of Jesus Christ and making that obvious to our children that we are willing to put things down and pick other things up to be better and closer to the example of Jesus our Savior. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.